This is the Breaking Labels Podcast, and I'm Rosanna Gill. Each episode, we'll discuss labels that have confined the stories of my guests at one point or another and their journeys to thrive beyond them. Some labels are external, and others we put on ourselves as limiting beliefs. But regardless of where the label comes from, we're here to break it because we were meant for so much more. Hi, everybody. I'm so glad that you are back for another episode of the Breaking Labels podcast. I'm so excited for you to also hear from Flobo Boyce today. He is funny. I know the last episode, if you listened to it, it was a little bit heavy, but you are so going to enjoy just the comedic relief that is Flobo. So I am so excited for this. I know I've already said that twice, but hey, whatever, I am. But before I get into that episode, I do want to remind you that we have a partner for our podcast, and that is True Supplements, spelled T-R-U, no E, just True Supplements. It is a line of vegan supplement, supplements, excuse me. I don't know if any of you have heard of the fitness influencer or the fitness person, Massey Arias, but it is actually her brand. Um, And also, if you've ever watched Selling Sunset, interestingly enough, Heather Ray Young, the little blonde one who is now engaged to the guy from Flipper Flop, yeah, so this is getting way into social um, pop culture that I wasn't planning on, but whatever. She also has like her own flavor of the vegan protein that I happen to be using right now, the chocolate peanut butter. It's pretty darn good. My favorite before that one was the banana maple muffin, though, because it's delish. And if you have ever tried any vegan protein powders, you will know that they usually taste like poo. I don't know why, but they do. They have all these phenomenal, healthy ingredients, but they don't usually taste good, except with true supplements. Awesome, awesome vegan proteins. They have a bunch of other vegan um, products as well. They have a metabolism booster. They have some energy Uh, supplements, but I'm a really big fan of their vegan protein. So that's what I choose to focus on. If you go to the link in the show notes and use the promo code breaking labels, all one word, you will get 5% off your order. So I definitely encourage you to go check it out. Again, try the banana maple muffin because it's delicious. And I know I've said this in a previous episode, but I do not recommend the vanilla. All right, I'm going to keep it real. I'm not going to tell you I like something if I don't. I'm not a big fan of their vanilla, but their dessert series, straight fire. Okay, with that, let's get into this straight fire episode with Flobo. You like what I did right there? That was awesome. Ha ha. That's fine too. <laughs> This is the first one I've done that because every, because I, one of the podcasts I was listening to um, had said, like, always remember, you got to press record. You, you would be surprised how many times people forget. I'm like, how do you forget that? I just forgot. Yeah, it happens. It totally it happens. happens. I've done that too. <laughs> Have you done an entire episode that was not recorded? I've been fortunate for not that to happen, okay. uh, but I, but I have missed like huge chunks of like the good stuff. And then you want to go back and be like, Can you do it's a weird thing. Like you want to go back to the point, but you don't, you want to make it organic again, but you don't want to ask them again. And it's like, mm-hmm. dang it. Yeah. And that just happened. I missed my nugget. That was such a great nugget. 
<laughs> oh, the label thing? Oh, I'll tell you that again. So again, I'm a firm believer, like from the comic side of things as a stand-up comedian, when a new comic starts and they try to go into themselves and, and find out what they make jokes about, they always go to their main label or qualifier. So uh, like I'm a black person, as a black comedian, we always say things like, oh, I'm black, but I believe in this, or I like this, or I enjoy this. Or I've seen my, my fellow gay comics say, I came out like this. And that's interesting to see how we have a main qualifier, but because we have a main qualifier, our main label we ascribe to ourselves is not invalidate other labels as well yes thank you <laughs> no problem well so leading into that yeah your label that you wanted to talk about today yeah of which i have so many <laughs> you do you do yeah and by the um, way we can touch on multiple ones don't feel pigeonholed to just focus on one because i think the others always kind of come in and are part of the the whole story true but you are driving this boat which i'm so glad to be on the past right are you (laughs) this never happens man well Uh, so so confession though i feel like not quite qualified to drive the boat because you're already a podcaster and i'm like oh gosh the way i see it you're in the club so you've got the membership card you're the same level as me you're dope (laughs) you're totally fine uh the label we're doing uh is first generation american of which i am you know i was born here in the county of kings the city of brooklyn new york some 30 plus years ago. Uh, and, and that put me on a journey to Florida for undergrad, to LA or Orange County for graduate school. And I've been here out here ever since. Okay. Yeah. So where are your parents? Where do they hail from? Oh yeah. So my parents are from Barbados. Uh, okay. Usually in the years before Rihanna, nobody knew where that was. And, and so you would go to school and no one be like, well, is that Jamaica? And you're like, no, it's not. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> or is that Cuba? Usually it's Cuba or Jamaica, the two Caribbean islands everyone pretty much knew back then. And growing up, that was hard because you didn't want to educate uh, people. But to be fair, absolutely fair, and I mean this with no sense of uh, me acknowledging my ignorance, it was flipped. As a black kid, uh, the white, I couldn't tell the Irish kids from the Italian kids or in my school, the Chinese from the Vietnamese. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like a, a bad thing. But when someone goes, is that Jamaica? That totally invalidated, you know, mm-hmm. my, my, you know, my parents upbringing. So I never like educate anyone. And so a lot of ways, Riyadh helped us out a lot. So I could be like, oh, that chick <laughs> and be done with it. <laughs> that is kind of nice to have. Like she is your, um, what do you call? Spokesperson. In a way, yeah. There's a they actually built a statue on her block, uh, where she from. It's a big stone statue, and comparatively, it's like the hood. Like it's in the middle of like like it's it's like why would you even build this here? But they did. It lights up at night. What? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it totally does. Yeah. If I'm gonna I mean, have a statue, I want it to light up too. Yeah, shot brought like not a diamond. Mad at that. <laughs> We're real talk, but yeah, I was I was a kid from two different cultures and. Um, and it's very similar to the experience, and I don't want to speak for you, that, that biracial kids have, where like you are both, but at the same time, neither. And so when I ask you which side is more valid, we're like, well, <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> I'm an American kid, sure, but I'm also Caribbean. I eat Caribbean food. I know some of the slang. I go down there. It's like, oh, your accent's American. You're a Yankee. You're from there. But then you go to any party on the planet. They go, where are you from? Well, I'm from Brooklyn. And it doesn't never stops there. It's always like, so where are your parents from? Like, why do you yes. care about them? <laughs> My parents aren't in this part. I am. But yeah, um, so it took me a while to, to acknowledge that. But yeah, I am technically uh, not an African-American, but rather a black man of Barbadian uh, heritage and Scottish descent. That's just the way I am. And that's what I appreciate. Oh, Scottish too. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's only two places in the world where voices exist, and if you're white, it's Scotland, and if you're black, it's Barbados. That's pretty much it. Like, it's, really? I mean, it says voices everywhere. I'm not trying to, to be that blanket, but no, like historically, but... culturally, yeah. Well, I didn't know. So, why did Scottish go to Barbados? That is a good question. So, the island was inhabited for a long time, and the the island is named after the bearded fig trees that were existed there, Los Barbados, right? Uh, during the time of Britain's expansion, a lot of uh, people went across to get this new land, and they hired indentured servitudes. And the indentured servants were the, the white Scottish, the working class Scottish and Irish. And when the slave trade was ramped up, because you know slavery is always tied to history, uh, a mm-hmm. lot of people that worked the land of these areas uh, took on the names of these plantation owners and slave owners as well. So my, my dad's side of the family, they're the, the one that are pure Scottish. My dad's mom, my dad's dad's mom, mom is like from Scotland, but like those people, the Scottish, the British, they owned the land. And my mom, who is what we consider more ethnically black or West African by descent. Uh, she's like the Griffith family and those have another set of section of the island as well. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I did not know Boyce was Scottish at all. <laughs> so I, I mean, you could have said, oh yeah, no, that's a traditional Barbadian. Is that Barbadian? Sure. Yeah, technically, yes. So officially it's Barbadian, uh, but most people say Bayesian too. It's almost like uh, in, in Puerto Rico, we'll say Puerto Rican is the official word, but people say Puerto Rico. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, this is random and my mind just went there, but I worked at, when we were at Flagler, I worked at a Cuban restaurant and I got the job because I didn't tell her I wasn't Hispanic because I just needed a job. And she asked if I spoke Spanish and I just said, well, I'm learning. And I just left out the part that I wasn't actually Hispanic because I figured it was implied. She would just yeah. assume that. And if that helped yeah. me get the job, great. Right. But I didn't know any of the terminology. So one time a customer came up to me and was he asked in Spanish, eres poriqua. But I thought he was asking, like, do we have that? And I was like, oh, no, we don't serve that here. Because I didn't know what it was. So I was like, well, we must not serve it. So he thought he was being he, sassy. We don't serve that here. Stop with your flirting. Right. I was like, mm-mm. And he would just looked at me like you're a moron and walked away. Yeah. And then later I told my boss, I was like, oh yeah, somebody asked if we serve or asked if um, we have Boricua. And she was like, wait, how did he ask it? And I told her, and she's like, no, no, no. He was asking you if you are. And I was like, well, yeah. I don't know what a Boricua is. And she's like, it's Puerto Rican. I'm like, oh. oh. You pick, did you pick a country at random at your job? Because if someone asked you, do you were like, oh, I'm really quarter Cuban? Or do you just say, no, I'm not? Like, I would say, no, it? I'm not. But okay. It was interesting because sometimes that like had a whole other host of issues. Like sometimes well, your name is Rosanna. How could it not be? <laughs> and and also like when we would get Cubans from Miami, they would be like really frustrated that I didn't speak Spanish. Yeah. And obviously I didn't speak it because my parents didn't, but like also growing up, I had a friend who was Hispanic. She didn't speak a lick of Spanish. So it didn't occur to me that somebody would think that just because I don't speak. And so when I would tell them, oh, I don't speak Spanish. Oh, well, then you're not Hispanic. And I'm like, well, right. only Hispanic be, people should... I know don't speak Spanish. So. <laughs> um, you should be ashamed. Right. Yeah, I do remember the, the, the verse. Was that Versailles or was it Columbia? The, the, that, that time when you were working at that restaurant. I was like, man, oh. you put in that work, man. Good on her. <laughs> I was, yeah. Had to pay through school somehow. <laughs> Facts. Mm. I worked at a CD store called Turtles. And, um, <laughs> It was okay, but we got no sales because we sold CDs at list price. It's like, if you're going to sell a CD for $19, if you go to Target across the street for $10, we are not going to get any sales. <laughs> what are nope. we doing? What happened to Turtles? Oh, They're no longer around, are they? Uh, can we say this here? So after I left, so I, I, okay, so my first year, I didn't have a car. 
and mm-hmm. and so I was I was trying to get this job to save up for a car because Flagler was cheaper than most private schools. I'm not gonna lie, it's not cheap, but it was cheaper. That's why yep. a lot of us went. Yep. Um, so my second semester, I was in this weird loop where I would take a cab to work to get the money for the cab fare plus the money for the car. And so like a good two months in, I said, this is not working out. I, I'm just gonna quit this job. But like a month after that, I'm reading the paper, the San Augustine record for those of you in the area. And it turns out uh, they closed that place down because what they were doing was stealing the CDs from Target and then putting the markup on their shelves. So I saw what? my boss get laid away in handcuffs. And I was like, yo, this is crazy. Good thing I quit. <laughs> my lanta <laughs> good thing i am out uh so yeah that's what happened to that place um but that wasn't that kmart uh plaza over there i didn't expect i didn't expect that i thought it was just gonna be like oh no they were out with the times not no yeah. oh, got locked up they got locked up shut down yeah <laughs> well that's a hustle <laughs> i mean it's also what a lot of people do now like they buy stuff from a store and just sell it at a markup but you know that was my first florida it, man story or florida <laughs> woman story <laughs> it's like what Breaking the target? Like, why? <laughs> uh. Now, did you ever encounter, like, different reactions or different responses from people dependent on where, like, was the reaction or the experiences you had growing up in Brooklyn different than in Florida versus in California? Oh, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. I, it was a bit of a shielding. I didn't quite notice at the time. So in, in New York, let's take it back to like the 70s, right? Because the way it is immigrant classes come in, they move up, right? So mm-hmm. in the 70s, as far as the black population, they're mostly black Americans. And my dad was in the country, my mom got in the country in about the mid 70s, which is ahead of the curve because in the early 80s, that's when a lot of Caribbean immigrants came in. So oh. my parents were there before. But the problem with that is like the Caribbean immigrants came in around the same time as the New York City crack epidemic. So there was a bit of like hate mongering there that maybe, hey, look, we let these people in and then crack shows up. This is the reason. And it's not the case. We know why crack is crack now for a bunch of reasons. I won't go into that here. But there's a little bit of a friction, especially for my parents in trying to find work, trying to find jobs. Uh, of course, the medical field is always open to new Americans and potential Americans. So my mom went into, she was a, mm-hmm. a resident advisor. I'm sorry, resident advisor. She was a res, uh, <laughs> RN. I'm so, I'm, so, I'm so stuck to being an RA. I'm saying resident <laughs> She was not red. Red is a nurse uh, for so long. And my dad went into transit because he was an electrician by trade. So a lot of ways growing up, Brooklyn was like that third family member. My parents both worked. I was a latchkey kid at seven years old. Uh, oh, you can't wow. do that now. I had my keys. I walked home from school. I opened the back door and I uh, made my, my, my lunch or my snack until my parents came home. And there were other creeping people like me. By the time I grew up, I was a 90s kid. There were the Jamaican kids. There were the Grenadian kids. There were the Guyanese, even though they're South American. They're culturally West Indian. So there's a bit more of understanding that there are different shades of black, if I could be so crass, right? Yeah. Um, moving to Florida at 18, because I got to school directly. I, got, I applied for college, went straight in there because the whole thing was you got to go to college because as a first-generation American, as mm-hmm. most parents, it's just get a good job. But I want to get a good job, get a good job, get a good job. Uh, I tried to find a school that was far away and it was cheap. Um, it didn't matter where my parents were from, what parish they were from in the island, what island they were from, where they lived in New York City. I got judged with two things, my skin color because I was a black guy in the South uh, and the fact that I was from New York. Those are two things. Because even... Southern black people were like, oh, you talk funny. Like, and it's like, I talk funny. Like, I had no, 
I had no idea. The first time someone called me Yankee, I got upset. I was like, I'm a New York Mets fan. How dare you call me Yankee? They had no idea what that meant. No idea. Uh, and, and so like Florida was another learning process for me uh, in, in Northern Florida, because people always say, oh, Florida isn't the South. I'm a firm believer the North Florida might as well be Georgia too. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's, it's pretty country. Uh, I had to at a very early age and people say it's not my responsibility, but I felt like it was to be more of a, an ambassador for Brooklyn, an ambassador for my race, an ambassador for my culture. And so I was, had this extra burden of leading by example in places I didn't want to. So people tell me, oh, you're so even-tempered. No, you're a nice guy. Well, yeah, there are times I want to get upset. There was times I want to get mad. But I realized I was representing my hometown, my skin color, my background, my heritage. Every time someone slighted me, every time a resident you know, said a bad word, every time I was ignored at a restaurant, you know, every time I saw a Confederate flag on a truck because, quote, unquote, Southern heritage. Like, <laughs> there was a lot of things that 18 to 21 I had to live through. And I was a resident advisor. I was a resident advisor. <laughs> By the time I got to college, and there was an extra burden of, oh, he's the fuzz. Don't talk to him. He's bad news. Oh, I didn't <laughs> don't think hang, about that. Don't hang with him. He'll, he'll write you up. And it was, it was rough, but I felt all that came to a head in college, you know? Oh, I never, I didn't, I wasn't expecting the layer of the resident advisor, but that's true. Like, there's that whole other responsibility, expectation, but then also, like, let's be honest, some disrespect you're going to get because of the position and the fact that you're in a role that some people just don't even want to listen to, regardless of who you are. Right. They don't want, they don't like the resident advisor. I, I can tell you a story about the RA stuff that kind of puts everything like to a head. So my, Ooh. my first year as, a, as an RA, was my first year or my, my fourth year? My last year. Cause I was a, I was an elder statesman. I was a senior. Uh, <clears throat> oh. um, yeah, not really good. <laughs> So they have a meeting, uh, the resident advisors, for special needs. Usually if you have someone with a disability, they'll pull you aside and say, hey, look, heads up, someone, someone has a problem or whatever. Not a problem. Everyone's differently abled in their own way. I had uh, an individual that was on the spectrum, and we didn't know much about autism at the time. But I took a time to read about Asperger's syndrome to see how can I communicate with someone uh, the best way I could, you know, because mm-hmm. we're not like trained professionals in that way. Like it's, RA programs are more advanced now, but back then you did a week of putting out literal a fire in a parking lot of a fire station and they gave you a walkie-talkie and said, enforce the rules. That's, that's pretty much oh my gosh. what they did. Uh, and so this person was from uh, the next county over, so very, very Floridian. Uh, and within a week, his his first roommates were making fun of him because he was peculiar. Mm-hmm. And what happened that night uh, was his family got word and they drove a, a three-car convoy from this city over to the school to, to protect their boy. And, and you would do anything for your family. I'm not knocking them for that. But I'm, what I'm saying is we had a family that was very, very Southern speaking to me as their RA from New York. <laughs> Uh, holding like pocket knives and like batons in case things quote unquote got rowdy. And it's like 9 p.m. on a Tuesday. There is no school help. There is no administrator. There is no security guards weren't top notch either, you know? And so I felt that that was the the first time I put every peer negotiation class (laughs) into practice because how you calm down people ready to fight and defend the honor of their child, but I am culturally the opposite of them, you know, Uh, and and relationally the opposite of them. And and that to me was, could have been a lot more scary than it was, but everything worked out. Uh, We moved him out Uh, the next morning. We told the Dean of students to move the uh, the kid out to his own room. Uh, And then everything was pretty much fine after that, but it was scary. It was touch and go for a while. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, I can, I don't know that I can even imagine. I can't even wrap my head around it. Like what were, did they say anything to, I guess, be offensive or was it just they were there to like you said protect the honor of their child they'll say things like you know things get rowdy you gotta, you gotta go you know you gotta i'm okay i'll hit a person if i have to i'll hit a kid if i have to which is something that families say like we yes. all say that so especially my family like my extended family does it too so it didn't really impact me but anyone not in that kind of familial unit would say mm-hmm. it is they're inciting violence. You know what I mean? So there had to, but yeah, it's kind of like, you know, let me know. I'll, I'll go out there. I'll show you my knife right now. You know, I'll cut a guy if I have to. And he was like, yes, we've all said, oh, we'll cut someone if we have to, but don't say right. that out loud here, movie theaters, airports. <laughs> you know and please I mean? do not brandish said knife because exactly. that, that could actually re- result in a charge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh man, good times. <laughs> well, so now what about when you went to California? That was a whole different thing, too, because I lived in Southern California, Orange County, and they call it the Orange Curtain uh, <laughs> for, for different reasons, because uh, it's politically a red county, and, and this part of California tends to be all blue, politically mm-hmm. speaking, so they call it the Orange Curtain. That was different for me, because uh, I had the base of my experience in Florida. I was like, okay, well, you know, I lived in the South. No offense to you, Arizona. I know you're from oh, South Carolina, but <laughs> I'm just saying. I was like, all right, this is going to be great. Um. There's two Californias. There's essentially two Californias. There are transplants like myself, and there are natives. <laughs> there are people who are Khalifas, are people from California. People from California. What that term means. Yeah. I do not. I've heard. Well, that I mean, I like, like, what is a Khalifa? Well, it depends. A, a, a Khalifa, like K H A L I F A, that's like like the Burj Khalifa. It's like, oh. <laughs> like a, but like a C L A I F I. It's like what well, like people who speak Spanish call themselves, you know, like Tejano or Khalifa, like those oh. things. The people out there, fine, cool as hell. The most dopest people on the planet. They just want to live like everyone else. Doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you are. All of us want to be safe. All of us want good schools. All of us want to be, want to be able to go to work and pay your taxes and not bother anybody. Great. It's transplants. Myself, ironic. people like me, ironically, that ruin Los Angeles, that ruin Southern California. And, and the reason is how I, most people feel when they go to college. It's, I was this person in my hometown, but I heard in this big city, I could be somebody else. New York is that way too. And so you have people say, oh, LA is so fake. It's usually transplant. It's usually someone that have a personality in life back in Missouri, back in the Ozarks that come out to West, to the LA and trying to find things. So I had to rely on the New York side of things. People say I was being brash. I was being direct. I think I was more honest, but I do recognize people hide behind the word honesty when they're being abrasive. You know, I tell like it is, well, you have to have tact or else you're yes. a jerk. <laughs> you know yes. what I mean? Uh, so like, so as, a, as an advisor, as a peer negotiator, I would try to be as compassionate, try to be as level-headed as I can. But that to me was dealing with people who weren't directing what they wanted. They weren't, that weren't saying what they liked and what they did not like. That whole, he's great, can mean he's terrible. I didn't deal with that as much, you know, mm-hmm. in New York as I did in California. Or I would love to work with you as a way of saying, but bye now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> of being like, I would love to work with you. And so that was the, the thing I had to bring to. And the, the big stereotype for Caribbean people is that we work hard. We have a bunch of jobs. That's the stereotype. In my case, is actually true. I was about to <laughs> say, you, you're kind of living into that, buddy. 
hey man, why not? <laughs> There's some truth stereotypes. Uh, I love chicken. Uh, so, but but the, but the thing is, yeah, if you tell me let's work together, I'm gonna call you next day and say, okay, you said yesterday how we're gonna work. Alana, we planned this talk in what an hour? Hey, when you're free, I'm free this time. Let's do it. And so that was the biggest adjustment for me moving to California. So it's not like that there. I think that there is a there is a speed and pace that is more akin to the South than people give the South credit for. Like, I think in the South, people are very deliberate. People say they're slow in the South. I disagree. I think people in the South are very deliberate. Like, if it makes sense, I'll do it. But if not, I'll do it tomorrow or not at all. And mm-hmm. I think California is very like that. But it has this veneer as if they are hustling like Chicago, as if they're hustling like New York. And so people have, the, for me, it was a change up. It was like, well, which one is it? <laughs> are we hustling or are we just talking about it? And I'll go to parties and it's never, how are you? It's, what are you working on? And, and for a while, I used to equate that question to my self-worth. I'm not working on anything. Maybe I suck. Maybe I'm the worst thing. I'm doing, I go to work. I go home. But then I started being really rebellious and defiant and going to these parties and saying, nothing. I'm working on absolutely nothing. Oh, well, I, uh, uh, I got the screenplay I'm working on and people didn't know what to do with that. Right? <laughs> like, you know, it's like, I'm doing nothing. I'm doing absolutely nothing. Uh, and that was my way to like break that trend. Oh, so then did that kind of help you not care as much about the question? Yeah, I think uh, I shift my cares to other things. I, my cares mm. are now self-inflicted. Like I have my own goals and I see other creators create and that's what I care about. I care about the quality of the content I create or the books I write or the jokes I do, but I don't collect slashes, actors slash writers slash dancers for the sake of collecting slashes. Oh, I, I, I think people like to do that. You know, oh, I, 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 I dance. I belly dance. I, I, I hip hop dance. It's like, okay, you're a dancer. Just say one thing. Why are you give me all these different things? You know, so, so yeah, I do care, but I don't try to impress people in that way. I feel like that seems to be something over the course of these conversations. I'm noticing where you know whatever the label may be or um, even mentality that somebody's dealing with, there comes a point where they go from trying to fit in to a defiance phase yeah. of like, you know what? No, don't want to anymore, whatever it may be. And it may not even be like defiance in like an argumentative way, but just a, yeah. I'm going to show up for myself in a different way, or I'm going to respond differently because I don't want that anymore. I, there's so many Instagram ads that say, just don't care what people think. Just do you. And that is great in a test tube, but I don't know about you, but there's always going to be a time being like, should I be wearing these buttless chaps? I don't know. What will people think? You know what I'm saying? But the, but the name of the game is, is, is realizing people have their say, and you can say, I'll take what you said under acknowledgement. I acknowledge what you said. You are heard, but I'm doing this anyway, because I see the vision. I see what it could be. I see what it, the path is going to be. And there's days where it's a fight. There's days I'm like, oh, I don't know what people will think. Hey, like over the quarantine, I released my first ever comedy single. I was scared out of my wits end because I am not a rapper, but I did it anyway to see what people think. I was worried what people think. But if I were to the point where I didn't even try it, then we would never know if I'm dope or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And you know? I, I have a feeling you are dope. Oh, go on. <laughs> <laughs> so like what, now, as far as career, because I mean, like you said, with your parents, you know, being a first generation American, well, you are, excuse me, but, and that mentality of go to, go to school, get a good job. How did they respond to you going, you, you kind of went out and sailed your own sea, right? And, and yeah. that like the work that you do, you do a lot of it, but it is all basically like, this is not an employer paying you necessarily. 
Right. Like right. this isn't the traditional, like nine to five, here's your paycheck. This is your clear cut duties. There. True. It's, it's funny because they responded on brand, but in two different ways for their brand. So my, my mom went to the medical field, as I mentioned, and my dad went to electrical engineering. And those are jobs you can get a good job. And, and a lot of the themes with, with new immigrants or new Americans or immigrants is take what they give you. You know, we work hard to put food in the plate, eat your plate of food. It's a good job. Why do they have a good job? And my mom, my, my brother is in, uh, he's a computer engineer. Now he's a welder. So both, both two different like tactical jobs. He changes careers in his thirties. But like me saying, I want to make movies. Or I want to make TV was just a foreign concept. But so to answer your question, my mom was like, I don't know what this is. You're my boy. I will support you. Uh, but try to find something to fall back on. And I call her the most to complain about life. Mom, this is hard, hard, hard. And she doesn't know what to say. She's like, trust in Jesus, you know? Because like, all you can really say, really. It's like, oh, okay, well, if you're hard, just the scripture might help you. Uh, but she does try, but she's kind of like, I, I, she wishes I had something coming in. Uh, when, when a friend asked me for help with a podcast and I tell them because, hey, knowledge is power. Mom's like, that should be your business. I was like, I don't want that to be my business. I'll be miserable. <laughs> my dad is traditional Caribbean dad. He's like, but where's it work? You know, he was an engineer for transit authority for 30 years. He wanted to be a civil engineer. Go out, get some money, go out and work, go out and that's not a job. How are you getting paid? Uh, you know, you got to quit this and maybe come back home. You know, that kind of thing. He's very more authoritative. And so I don't call him as much. Not because I don't need to hear that. It's because I can hear him in my brain already. I don't need more self-doubt. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just need someone to be like, I trust you. I trust the process. And it's funny you mentioned the OMC uh, analogy because there are times I feel like I'm on that boat with nothing but a flare gun. And every podcast episode, just another flare. Like, maybe someone will see this one. Maybe someone will see this one. Nope. And there's that bit of like, maybe my ship will come. But I figure if I keep at it, I keep rowing, that something will happen. Whether I might, whether it me directly, whether if someone goes, hey, you helped up my friend, here's a deal. Or, hey, man, I loved your shirt. What'd you get? It? Oh, my website, folkbeetle.threadless.com. And they buy your own t-shirt, whatever. Like the idea is that I keep at it on, the, on a path that I feel fulfilled in, despite the money, hopefully the money will come. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me with, this like I've known for a long time like and it was always one of those things where it was like you know I would read all these things all these self-help books and like what is my purpose what am I meant to do and it's like what would you do if you weren't getting paid I'm like well that's easy I would just tell stories like I would travel around the world and I would talk to people because that's what I've always done and what I'm good at but I can't Wait, get paid doing that so Carmen San Diego vibes just just travel the world no, so here's the thing like I'm not that adventurous like I am adventurous but like to a point okay so when I say travel around, I mean travel to really pretty places and stay in really nice hotels. <laughs> okay, so you like the, the glamour travel. <laughs> for now, for now. Yeah, I'm not way too. It's okay. It, and I, feel, I do feel bad saying that because I know they're, you know, whatever. People are going to think what they're going to think anyway. But like, it was just always like, ever since I was a kid, I would like just, uh, people would just tell me their stories. And when I was a kid, I didn't know how to take it because I'm like, these are adult problems that I don't know how to fix. <laughs> And I'm not entirely sure why you're telling me all this. Yeah. And then as I got into it all, I'm like, well, maybe that's just like somebody feels safe and they feel like they have a space to share. And that's yeah. a gift. It is. And I just had to get to the point where I'm like, well, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And hopefully I can do that for a living. And, and it will, like you said, you're going to shoot the flare gun and maybe something will come from it. Maybe. 
Maybe. <laughs> Wishful thinking. But there's nothing wrong with, with glamour traveling. I, I feel like if we travel for leisure, we should do it leisurely. You know what I mean? I guess if you're the hard person who gets the thrill of, of living on the land all throughout the world, then do that. But I'm not. <laughs> I live working class now. I'm not going to go over that and do that across the world. Like, come on. <laughs> I, who was I talking? I was talking to a friend and she was like, you don't want to go camping? And I was like, well, it depends. There's levels to camping. And I was yeah, like, it's... I have a certain texture of hair where I need product and I need clean water. So you with your straight hair might think, oh, it's fun to just be out here in the woods for three days. I do not because I'm going to look like a mixture of Don King and Diana Ross <laughs> by day 1.5. And I don't like it. I'm too vain just for that. Keep me hanging up. Dude, I, I went camping once and I was like, okay, this is homelessness. I'm out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. 100% true. <laughs> yeah. So what have been some of the things like, have you ever felt like the, the, the label or that title of first generation American? Have you ever felt burdened by that? Yes. Uh, whew, as I get older, I will say more and more. So really, yeah, to get a little into, into my personal uh, relationship with my extended family, I had a falling out with them when I was about 14 years old. Oh. So the long story, the short of it is when I was 14, my, Chris, my birthday present, excuse me, was I really wanted to fly on a plane by myself. I had a big aviator phase. And so my mom didn't know where else to send me on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> uh, she happened to my extended family in Barbados. And so that summer was long. Uh, my, my cousins, they, they were working class, but we didn't really do anything special. I wasn't treated any differently, which kind of wore on me. You know, like I, I thought this is so much better. Mom's here. We go and do stuff. You know, I was in the house all day cleaning. And uh, <laughs> one of my final nights in town and the laws have changed. My, my cousins uh, had basically railroaded me to take me out to buy things duty-free as an American citizen so they can purchase. And I didn't want to do that because I heard that they were changing the rules and sending all the duty-free stuff to the airport. I didn't want to be involved in that. I was like, I'm good. And so I stood up for my rights at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but it was very heartbreaking to have your extended family go like, ah, oh, you know what I mean? Like, you let us down, how dare you? And so I, I again, I say this, so like, I'll flip it now, but I was crushed then. And so I came back, I was like, mom, I love you to death. I'm not going back. And so from ages 14 to about 32, I had not visited the island uh, at all. And those are the formative years. Those are the years where you can appreciate your culture organically and the food and the people and the music. And so it became like, like the awkward date that you never called back on. Like at what point do you go back or what point do you think? Like I I'm always 100% Barbadian, American as well, but like I was starting to worry that I had no tendrils to that land. And, and so I'm at the age now where theoretically I would have kids or at least nieces and nephews and, and there's nothing I can teach, I worried about. So I started about a year, two years ago, I visit my mom because she has a house there for winter months. I'll go, I visited my mom, saw how the island has changed. Um, I try to listen to the music more, get put in my normal rotation. I'm a wedding DJ. So I try to slip a couple of Silka songs in there when I do the parties or whatever and, and try to get back into the slang and stuff. Because like we are guardians of our heritage. If I meet an American woman now and I have American children, they are technically American, but they're going to ask, dad, where are you from? And I'm like, I have no idea. I'm from Brooklyn. You know what I mean? And they want to hear that because this country is the only country I think of where we think about that 
sort of thing. We can say in Italy, if you are Italian, have Italian kids, your kids are Italian. But like, we are like, well, you know, I'm actually 132nd Polish, 145th. Mm. Like, we just want to be from somewhere else because that is the myth we have, or that is the, the imagineering we have that America is a melting pot. We're all from somewhere. We're all a special person. People say it's individualism. I just say we just want to find out what our mix is. I was reading an article that saying Ancestry.com doesn't sell in Europe because we just, they accept that face value. I'm German, but here we want to know what part we are. So yes, there's a bit of me trying to say how much of the heritage I'm responsible for to pass down. If I become famous, quote unquote, and someone looks me up and go, oh, you're Bayesian, how much culture do I have to display? I am not going to be around his level because she's actually from the island, but like I should know a bit more than the, the rum culture or more than where my parents are from, that sort of thing. Oh. I I'm sorry. I, I, <laughs> no, 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 no. It, so I, I'm torn because I feel like I can't, this is one of those things that I can't tech really relate to because I don't know what this is like, but it's something that I've heard a lot that it seems a lot of first generation kids deal with. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't sound like this, this particular part of it was your, your necessarily something that your family put on you, but like, I, okay. The specific example I'm thinking of is this guy I met um, here in Boston Uh, salsa dancing and he is i'm trying to think because he is actually chinese but i think everybody always assumes he's korean and his name is steve and steve has no accent that a lot of americans would assume he has because he was raised here and his parents didn't want him to have an accent so he doesn't actually speak chinese Mm -hmm. but if you look at him you're going to think this guy is clearly Asian American. True. And it was, we were talking about the kind of the juxtaposition of like, you're constantly reminded that you don't look quote unquote American, but sure. yet he, there's an entire part of his culture that he does not know. And his family didn't want him to know because they wanted him to assimilate. Sure. So assimilation is one of the double-edged swords here in this country, because we will accept exotic to a certain point. Um, especially in mm. periods of um, despair financially, when you see businesses losing money, like we see the movie business losing money, you'll see more diversity in films. Like when I was a kid, the early 90s had a lot of hood films. In the 70s, there was black exploitation because those were two down periods economically. Um, but there is, a, there is a balance there. Even baseball. Oh. Baseball was two separate leagues for a long time. And I always ask people, why did it integrate? Because people decided racism was bad mm. or because during the war, a lot of our best white baseball players potentially were fought in the war and the play of baseball was bad. Whereas since the white men were in the war, more black men worked and had money to go to Negro games and they had higher quality players. That's why they integrated. It's all about that. So there is a bit of a double-edged sword. You have to be American to a point because you want to be able to speak and broadcast. You know, I can't do an accent, you know, that kind of thing. I can't do my, I can't do an accent for fun, but there is that flip of, if you do that for too long, What's going to happen? So my mother's credit, up until I, I put my foot down, she took me back every year. Took me back every year to see my family and my culture, at least have that in my hand. But there becomes a th- time where you're like, okay, being in the melting pot isn't quite ideal. That's why they say America is now a great American salad because they want every piece to be featured and displayed because you got to teach the kids where they're from. I had not heard that. But oh, I, that, 
I heard in a book. Don't worry about it. Don't don't say that. Part. No. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, what did I miss? What was the announcement? I missed it. I didn't know we weren't a melting pot anymore. We're a salad. We're a salad. Yeah. We're a salad. What kind of is it? Is there goat cheese? I love goat uh, cheese. It can be. Yeah. I like bougie salads. Bougie salads while yes. you're traveling the world in your bougie mm-hmm. hotels. Don't give me iceberg. Oh, okay. What is your lettuce of choice then? Ooh, I love me some spring mix. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Mm-hmm. You always suck me on somebody with the fine things in life. Yeah, yeah. You know, I have my moments. It depends on the things. <laughs> um, now, has it been since, and how many siblings do you have? Just my older brother and I. Okay, so it's just your brother and I. So has it been different for the two of you? Like, have you taken similar paths? Or as far as like your, your I guess, interpretation, your feeling about being first-generation Americans? I think we felt similarly, but there was a time when my brother was uh, college age where he started hanging out with Caribbean friends and he started going to parades and stuff. But mind you, at the same time, when I became college, I went to literally the whitest school in the country. So like there was yep. no one to talk to me about that kind of stuff too. So we had the same kind of issues and problems and our family is very small and, and so much of the, of the people we talk with and our parents, uh, not as they wouldn't teach us stuff, but they would it's like oracles. It will tell you things if asked. But if you don't know what to ask, you don't really know what to get. So, yeah, we all kind of approach it differently. Do you ever wish that they had, instead of it being an Oracle situation, that it had been more of like they initiated the conversation or initiated the stories or the communication, I guess? I mean, sure, yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, there, I'm sure there's times where they tried in their, on their mind and the kids weren't ready for it and they probably had that stories in their head. Mm. Um, but, but, yeah, you know, sometimes you kind of wish that. Like my mom, for example, I called my mom last week and I was asking her, because I have this twice a week vlog called What's Up Flobo, where I just talk to the camera. Hey, what's up, Flobo? And I didn't know what to do this episode about. And I called my mom because I do it for her. Because all the content I watch, What's Up Flobo is so short. It's the one she can actually sit through, which is <laughs> just messed up. So I'm like, oh, mom, what do I talk about? She goes, well, you talk about whatever, whatever, whatever. And we talked about, we ended up talking about how the land that she grew up as a kid is being parsoned off to like developing the corporations and cultural things like like statues and and the the Barbados land ship, which you can look up, which is actually like this traveling like dance troupe, which I had never heard of. Granted, it's been part of the island for like the past hundred years. Never heard about it until two weeks ago. And I was like, oh well, okay, now my parents are the age where they're retired. You know, they can say, Oh, this is a story from when I was a kid. But yeah, growing up, they were too busy working. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. They were too busy making sure that they could get you guys into school or mm-hmm. that they could provide for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I felt I was um, earlier, I was having a conversation with my friend Val, who will be the episode from this coming week or for this coming week. And her mother's Filipino and her, her dad is American. But talking about how like a lot of times parents are so caught up in, in just providing for that the conversations just don't happen. Yeah. Because it's like, I just need to make sure you're taken care of. And it comes from such a good place, but then there's so much that ends up being lost. Right. And conversations that aren't had. And it just, I mean, I think about like one of my, um, so actually you don't know this, but my, um, my dad has two brothers. One married a Japanese woman and one married a Chinese woman. So on my dad's side, I'm the only non-Asian grandchild mm. or non-Asian mixed grandchild, I should say. And my Japanese aunt is the first person who told me I could say I'm mixed. I was always just 
under the impression like I had to pick one or the other. So I had to pick the one I looked the most like, which was white. Right. Even though most people didn't think I was white. They're like, I don't know what you are, but you're something. That's kind of what I went through <laughs> until I was like, I think that was my summer before my senior year. And she told me and she was because it was so important to her because my cousins grew up like they went to Japanese school on Saturdays. They went to Japan every year. Like she was it was very she only spoke to them in Japanese. So like she was very like, you know, it was very important to maintain the culture and to make sure that they had a solid footing in it. And she told me she was like, why do you have to choose one or the other? She was like, I would never want and I'm not gonna say that my kids to choose one or the other because they're both. And I worry that they're going to choose one over the other. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I was like, Oh my God, you're right. Like, I don't want to choose. And I never thought of it before that perspective of not choosing my mom. But once she said that I could never unhear it. Right. And it was like, Oh God, I need to, I need to say I'm mixed. Like I cannot choose my dad over mom or my mom over my dad. And that's also when I started having a lot more interest in learning my mom's culture because she's from New Orleans. Okay. And we never talked about a lot of it. Like we always ate Cajun food, real food growing up, or I did, but there was not, she never really talked much about her culture. So I started to ask more. I actually interviewed my, my grandmother in college just because I didn't know her. I didn't know her growing up. And it was like, there's this whole part of me that I just, I don't know. Yeah. And here I am to say like, oh, I'm mixed and I'm proud of this, but I don't know anything about that side of myself at all. Right. And so I get when you're saying like you, like when you have a child and they ask like, where are you from? And you'd be like, well, I would like to tell you more than just <laughs> this place. Right. Like I would like to share all these things and these beautiful things about their culture. How's that enough working for you now? Do you have a better handle? Like what's, what's your state on that? So funny you ask because in light of if I were to have a child I would still feel like I don't know enough of my own culture to be able to share it Mm -hmm. and to create a sense of pride I know I would want to but I don't know that I know enough I do know so one thing I learned that I really love is when I was growing up my mom would make these candies called pralines and it's very traditional yes she actually sold them um, when we were in when I was growing up in South Carolina she sold them to some restaurants that was kind of like a side hustle of hers and I was making them once for some people just as a gift. And I was like, what's the background of these? And I started researching it. And it was actually a method for a lot of Creole women to actually have freedom and to be able to like provide for themselves. Like that, there were a lot of women in New Orleans who sold those so that they could provide for themselves and they weren't dependent on men. Right. And I, it was just this beautiful connection. Like here was my mom doing that as a side hustle to provide for us, yeah. like keeping the traditional alive. But I don't know that she even knew that's where they came from. And it was like, that was like the, the, the Creole woman's thing was to sell pralines in New Orleans sure, and, sure. and to have some independence. And I was like, oh, so it meant a lot more. Like making the pralines meant so much more to me after I knew that history of it. Do you cut the recipe? Did you do pralines? Oh yeah, I can't. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty Can't good at them. Can't wait for a batch. Can't wait for a batch. Oh, I'll send them. My <laughs> yeah. problem now is I'm still don't, I don't make them enough where I can't make myself sick trying the bat, like the ones that aren't pretty enough to give to other people. Like, right. I still eat too many of them when I make them. So I'm like, oh, God. Oh, it's, it's discount those. Like, oh, these are just the ones that I messed up with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are good, though. They're, they're yeah. really good. But yeah, it was just this whole. So. It's point. funny how food, though, like, it's the connection. I asked my yes. dad a year ago today. I was like, teach me how to make sauce. And, and sauce is like a, how to explain. It's almost like a, it's like, it's a, it's a, 
it's a boiled pork dish, but it's like a ceviche kind of thing with it. You can make the fresh vegetables vegetables and and cut it up with the lemon and stuff like that. And you put slices of pork shoulder or pork pork knuckles or pork head, depending on your recipe, in this like mix. And and my dad's like, Google it. And I was like, Dad, you are the worst at sentiment. (laughs) And he called me back like, what do you mean? I was like, I want you to tell me over the phone how to make this happen. And I, not only I did it, I, rec- I recorded myself doing it in like a weird, like jaded character uh, calling Making Bayesian Sauce for American Friends. And it became like this project I worked on last year. And it felt so much better to see that in the olden days, it was like the part of the pig no one wanted to buy at the butcher shop. My dad's dad's dads were all butchers. But then growing up, that was a Saturday food because you had to make it marinate or make it sit afterwards. So my dad would make it Saturday morning, take us to Saturday school and come back. We would have it in the afternoon. So like if someone asked me, hey, do you know anything, how to make anything like you were saying with Pauline's, it was like, yeah, I can. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole history to it that yeah. you now get to pass on. Yeah, absolutely. I almost think that it makes the food taste better too. Yes. You're not, you're not wrong. Really, right. you never lied to me before, but you're not wrong now. <laughs> but I feel like that's a big thing in a lot of cultures, though, is food. Like, that is how so many – and that's also probably because in the, in the process of cooking, there's so much time to spend and to talk and to share. I think it's, it's amazing to me how huge a part food plays in so many cultures. Yeah, it's universal. It's, uh, it's a necessary. You have to, we have to eat to live. So to, to elect to do it with people or with a certain object in time, I mean, that's a lot. I think that's why I think that the basic thing for a date is still dinner. You know, mm-hmm. it takes a lot to break bread with someone and to see where they were, how they, for, they look on life, how they chew. I'm just kidding. That's a lot of fun. But you know what I'm saying? It's all part of that. What is something like if, if a kid is listening to this right now, who is is a first generation American is kind of struggling with like sense of self. Who am I? What is my place in this world? Especially if they're here in the United States, what would be something that you would want them to know or to understand? It's not a composition. It's it's you. Yes, you are both, and and because of that, you're functionally needed to a lot of people. But that does not mean it, you're needed to yourself. You don't have to battle. You don't have to say look, uh, I, I feel more of this or I feel more of that. You are, whatever mix it is, it's you 100% of the time. And it's funny because when I go running and I try to push myself the last mile, I think I'm in the Olympics for Barbados. I ain't gonna lie to you. That's something stupid and silly, but it's true. Or, or <laughs> when awesome. I play video games, I'm a big Rocket League fan, I put an American flag on my car. That's just, it's dumb things like that because you have elements of both. And you'll see that where you're from can influence your perspective as an American and vice versa. And there's so much beauty in that. Yeah, it is. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for asking. <laughs> now, are there any things that just kind of are floating around in your mind that you'd want, that you want to say, or that you want to kind of close out with? I sure do y'all. <laughs> Here's a new segment. I'm calling. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm here I, for I, it. I just hijack your show. <laughs> okay. I have these notes right here. Flobo no, takes the mic. I know, right? Flobo uh, already had a mic, but that's okay. I, I'm taking the mic anyway. I try to check in on, on what you can. So it's going to be nerve-wracking, uh, at least it was for me, to put those search engine items in. Like, why do we do this? How is that? Where are my people from? And I'll, and I'll lie to you. I won't lie to you. There, there's times where looking at reading history 
of this land that you are connected to, but so far away seems absolutely foreign. It can be actually scary. Am I worthy of this knowledge? Uh, that nervousness is not nervousness. It's you willing to teach yourself something you weren't before. So go for it. And that's with American history too. Like it, it's definitely a sign of saying, don't ignore that. If it's make you go, Ooh, I don't, I don't think I'm ready for this because you are ready. Cause you have all that blood in your veins. Boom. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Flobo. Uh, in lieu of our usual outro music, and by usual, I mean the outro music we have had for two episodes, but hey, it's the outro music, all right, y'all? But instead of that, I'm actually going to leave you guys with this amazing piece that Flobo did during the pandemic called Alone in the Club. Y'all are going to enjoy it. Just just listen. <laughs> the guy is so talented. He's funny. He's talented. You're welcome. You're welcome in advance for this. Yo, I see the security guard outside with his little flashlight. You see, I don't have to stand in line to get in the club. I'm already inside. Y'all wanna dance until sunup? That's cute. Because Flopito, I'm inside at sundown. Let's go. My friends don't at work, but I'm getting at work Spent my whole check on this brand new shirt In my rare feet, cause my dress shoes hurt So where the ladies at, cause I'm here to flirt Went about the whole bar just for me Coverage drives paid, I asked my mommy So stop playing homie, I'm a VIP now King with the crown, it's going down You know, the promoter isn't here yet The DJ isn't here yet That's right, I beat them both here I'm about to stretch out in VIP. The light show is even on. But that's alright. I'm chillin'. I'm good. Although, I'm kinda hungry, man. I'm really hungry, actually. Hands up, hands up. Y'all ain't on my guest list. Said, when am I going home? You know that's the conflict. I said, hands up, hands up. Y'all ain't on my guest list. Oh, hell no. Nah.